You are listening to the Post-Atomic Horror Podcast with Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham. Episode 14, covering City on the Edge of Forever and Operation Annihilate. Hey, we actually made it to the end of Season 1, look at that. Yeah, surprising, no? Huh. Um, so yeah, th- this is it. Uh, two more episodes and, and we're, we're finished. Um, that is it for season one of Star Trek. Yeah. Um, so you want to just go ahead and jump into... Uh, I'm, yep. I'm, a, I'm a little frightened to even say the title, actually. Oh, yeah. In case you know there was a, There was a protracted argument over who was going to end up with uh, the city on the edge of forever. Now listen, this is regarded as one of the the greatest episodes among among Star Trek fans. Like usually it's at the top or in the top 2 or 3 and and it deserves to be way up there. But uh for those of you who don't know, the writer of this episode, Harlan Ellison, um he's he's still alive by the way, I think. So for at least another year by his prediction. He he claims that he's going to die in front of an audience and at a convention, but uh which admittedly that's a hell of a way to go out. It is. He's uh he's he's crazy. He's he's very very protective of his stuff, we'll say. Mm-hmm. Quite angry uh, and not happy about uh, what they did to his script. Uh, but it's a great episode, and uh, we're, we're you know we're a little concerned that he might sue us. But uh, since we don't have anything, I think we're probably yeah. Safe. Luckily, we have nothing. So yeah. <laughs> we, we have, just say that again: we have nothing. No, we have no uh, precious uh, <laughs> fortune in uh, precious gems. And we traded it all for a stout club. <laughs> we did. We can have our stout club if you like, Mister Ellison. All right, that said, uh, City on the Edge of Forever, Matt. Okay. The, Enter- the Enterprise is exploring a planet, waves of pure time battering the ship. Sulu is injured, and Bones must use a highly dangerous drug to help him. Sulu comes around, doped to the gills, and as the ship is, at- is knocked around some more, uh, McCoy accidentally injects himself with all of the drugs ever and goes completely batshit fucking insane. Could you actually play some of his ravings right about here? <laughs> It also apparently gives him super strength as he overpowers everyone on the ship and escapes to the planet. Kirk, Spock, and friends follow and discover the Guardian of Forever, a magical croquet wicket with the power of time itself. As the Guardian plays stock footage of human history, McCoy, shaking off a Vulcan nerve pinch, jumps through the wicket and escapes into the past. The Enterprise vanishes, and the Guardian reveals that Bones has done something to drastically change the timeline. Kirk and Spock follow, arriving in 1930s America about a week before Bones arrives. After a few <clears throat> minor problems with the local law, they wind up in the basement of shelter owner Edith Keeler, who is hot and British. Edith gives Kirk and Spock lodgings and work while Spock tries to figure out what Bones did to destroy the future. Meanwhile, Kirk is growing closer and closer to Edith. He reveals to Spock that he is falling in love with her. Spock tells him that that is a problem, and apparently apparently Edith will form a pacifist group that will keep America out of World War II, allowing Germany to take over the world, proving once again that hippies ruin everything. (laughs) In order to save the future, as Spock says eight times in this episode, Edith Keeler must die. Meanwhile, McCoy has, has arrived in the past raving. A bum finds him and accidentally phases himself while going through his pockets. Luckily, he never prevented any wars, apparently, because no mention of him is ever made again. Bones winds up at Edith's shelter, and she gives him a cot while, uh, until he's over his bout of mania. 
Kirk's taking Edith out on a date. When he, when she mentions this, Kirk runs off to see his friend. Edith follows, and Kirk must prevent Bones from saving her again. She's nailed by a truck, dies, and the crew returns to a restored future. Please don't sue us, Mr. Ellison. No, we like the episode. Um, yes. The first time I saw this, I kept hearing, like, oh, no, no, great episode, best episode of Star Trek. Watch this episode. And for some reason, I missed the first five or ten minutes setup, and I jumped in, and it's uh, Kirk and Spock's Adventures with Hobos. Yep. <laughs> this, this episode is lousy with hobos. It's so many hobos. And, you know, they're they're in the, the Depression-era New York. Yep. And and uh, the whole thing about Edith Keeler is she is a social worker and she runs a soup kitchen or whatever and she's you know like okay there will be hobos and it was a very, there will be hobos is a terrible movie name yeah it is Edith Keeler must die should have been the co- the title of this episode <laughs> I'm thinking we we may need to start a a new feature uh, alternate titles because <laughs> we always we always pick out a line of dialogue or something and we're like that should have been the title <laughs> Edith Keeler must die exclamation point would have made a pretty great title it's an awesome title yeah um. But, yeah, it, it is a very creative, very ec- economic use of, you know, once again, planet backlot, mm-hmm. you know, standard costuming, standard extras. Because they're in Earth's past, it makes sense this time. It's not a planet of hobos. See, the thing I found funny is this is actually the most expensive episode of the season except for the pilot. How? I have no idea, but that's it bizarre. is. bizarre. I mean, the, yep. the Guardian, you know, the, the croquet wicket, as you call it, is... Yeah, that's a lot of paper mache, but... Uh, it is. It's it's a very simple-looking, like, set, but it's it's very effective. It's not... It's it's simple used in a good way. Yeah. No, it looks really cool, especially when it starts talking and it lights up. Yeah, it looks like a uh, something that belongs in Vegas kind of thing. Yep. It's very cool. Um... <laughs> Opening for Elvis, the Guardian of Forever. <laughs> since before your, since before your <laughs> Elvis burned hot in space. Um, another thing that kind of colored my perceptions when I watched this as a kid was uh, Joan Collins, who, who, as you point out, is hot. Oh yeah, in this episode, I know Joan Collins from the uh, mid to late eighties uh, adult uh, soap opera Dynasty. I didn't watch it, but it was a big mm. uh, cultural success at that time, and she was a creepy old crotchety bitch. And I just could not think of her as being hot. It was very yep. strange to think of her that way, but uh, definitely not she, unattractive here. Pretty gorgeous in this flick and or in this episode, and the uh, the accent didn't hurt either. No, and she is properly British. She's not just doing that affected British accent that so many. So did. nice to meet you, Captain Kirk. So many actors did back then. Um, my only, like, actual problem now, watching this now, is believing that Kirk would actually fall in love with a woman because we well established that he loves the his only, ship. You know, yeah, the only woman love. he loves is his ship. Right. And, you know, <clears throat> we keep saying that. It's not really a punchline to us. It is the truth. It's, it's mm. totally one of the main premises of the show. And I was saying to Matt, it might have made more sense if this took place sort of early on and was sort yeah, of sort, the, of, sort like, of the reason. Yeah, it sort of burned him out for women. Yeah, he fell in love once, and it went hor- as wrong as it can possibly go. Yeah, you can't get much more wrong than have to let her die to save the future. Have to watch her get run over by a truck. Yeah. That's that's probably the worst ending of a relationship that I can think of. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and then so that from that point forward, he would then be a dog. But we, yes. know, we know he's been <laughs> a dog all this time and, and so forth, so uh, eh, whatever. It's just sort of like, oh, and suddenly I'm in love. Really, Captain? You're not just, uh, it's not just that 1930s women are a little harder to nail. <laughs> um, the the other thing that might have made it a little more plausible to me would be if they thought they were stranded. 
And if yeah. there was no chance of getting back to his old life and he was sort of resigning himself to this new existence and then yeah. allowed himself to fall in love. But again, minor nitpick for a great episode. I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not certainly not trying to say, oh, well, this one sucks because it doesn't at all. No, this is an excellent episode. Yeah. And it's funny. It's really funny. And it's funny not in that forced, like, the last few episodes we've had, we've had a scene between Kirk and Spock where the music tells us it's funny. And yeah. they sort of telegraph the jokes, and none of that here. It's all nice and subtle and just good character interaction. And yeah, it's a lot of good character stuff. I, like, yeah. watching Kirk and Spock play off each other is just great for this. Yeah, and, and you know, we we and every other hack comedian before us give Shatner crap for not being a great actor, and he deserves it. Mm-hmm. But he does carry comedy fairly well. Like, yep. Like the subtle, like, uh, you can tell he and Nimoy are comfortable with each other. They can mm-hmm. have good timing and whatever. And, and he's, he sells it. He's good at it. I think there's a there's a good reason they kind of came back to this kind of setup in uh, in uh, the fourth movie because it's basically you know watching him be a fish out of water is funny. Yeah, it re- like it really is. There's a there's a bit where uh, uh, and we'll get to this when we get to your quote where they <laughs> face down a cop. Oh god, which is great. And um, just watching him try to talk himself out of different things. And, uh, yep, it's it's pretty just cool. completely out of his element. Yeah. Always. Nobody respects me here. <laughs> I can't boss people around here. This Look is all at my wrong. shirt. Look how important I am. <laughs> yeah. Um. I mean. And, oh, go ahead. And the moment where uh, where they finally meet up with McCoy again, right at the end. Oh yeah. Just a great moment. They just sort of all do this like group hug thing. And it's just, it's really nice. Yeah. You know, we we make jokes. Everyone makes jokes. And they're funny jokes most of the time. Oh, you know, Kirk and Spock are gay for each other, <laughs> whatever. But really, Edith Keeler at one point makes the re- makes the remark that, uh, you know, uh, I'm not sure who you guys are, but I know he belongs at your side. Yeah. Putting aside your, your juvenile 12-year-old uh, tendency to giggle, and I have that tendency as much as anyone. Mm-hmm. But And just looking at it for what it is, it is a great line. It is a great moment to say, yeah, you guys, you know. You guys belong together. You guys yeah. are, and, and it kind of hammers. It's hammered home in the in the recent movie. Their destiny is to to, to work together, to be together. Yeah. And, you know. Well, I mean, that was the sort of the axis that that movie spun on was getting those two together. Right. Exactly. And it, and it's so hard. I'm seeing a thousand gay jokes I can make here, and I'm trying to avoid those to actually make the serious point for a change. But really, yeah. you know, the, well, it's not like we're a comedy show or anything. No, certainly not. <laughs> <laughs> but really, you know, I also feel like we've kind of run this joke into the ground with yeah. with us on our other show. Oh, so. heavens, yes. <laughs> uh, Matt, you belong at my side. Al, you complete me. <laughs> no, but really, I mean, and <laughs> it's um, it, it it really does work for me. It, it I bought Edith Keeler as being sort of intuitive enough to figure that out. Mm-hmm. I thought Joan Collins was actually a strong enough presence where I a lot of times you're presented with that role that. Uh, you know, sort of precocious, out of time person who who gets it more than they should, and you mm-hmm. don't really believe time travelers. Yeah, because yeah, exactly. But I totally bought it with her. She seemed really intelligent and really yep. intuitive, and I bought that she kind of figured them out before they told her. Yeah, and that was that was very cool. She was, you know, she, another rare, awesome Star Trek woman. Yeah, one of the and one of the better calibers of actor they've had. I'd say absolutely male or female. Like she just yeah. she she possibly the only love interest for Kirk that feels like his equal or close to his equal. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Not like some underling he's fawning over or some, uh, you know, some chick from some planet he's trying to nail. She Mm -hmm. feels like they're on the same ground and that's rare. 
So that's yeah. I think Carol Marcus is the only one I can think of, and she won't show up till the movies, and they'll already be broken up. Yep. So, but yeah, great episode. Um, I, I there were a lot of changes apparently from Harlan Ellison's original script. But yeah, and I mean there there's actually if you're interested in that you can get it as a book called I think the I think it's something like the real or no it's Harlan Ellison's Ellison's City on the Edge of Forever. I think it's still in print. Yeah, he went on and on and on for years about how they they changed it, and he finally just published his script as a book so he could show people. Look, this yep. is uh, with a extremely long essay where he rants about it. Here's the thing about him, and I again, I, I'm kind of scared of him. Yeah, um, he that's just, okay. He doesn't like the internet. He'll never hear this. Oh, well, fine. Um, he has no class. I mean, he's angry. Okay, fine, whatever. I don't. I, it's TV. They're going to change your script. That happens. Yeah. Every single fucking movie, TV show, comic book that I've read that says go to Hollywood, they take your ideas. They, they, you know, you sell your soul. Blah blah blah. Everyone knows that. Okay. But putting that aside. Even if he's totally justified in his anger. When Roddenberry died, like that week, he went on the Sci-Fi Channel and like basically gave this editorial that said, good, fuck him. Come on, dude, really? Not cool. So that, that kind of made me reluctant to, uh, to take him seriously or to take him, yeah. you know, anything. As it turns out, I just happened to read a short story of his, uh, this, this week, uh, totally mm-hmm. unconnected to this. And I quite liked it. Like, uh, yeah, no, he's a hell of a writer. He is. Um, and it just, it turns out that he's going to have to be one of these guys that I just, I pay attention to the work and I ignore the guy because yeah. that, that's the only way to do it. Well, that's okay. He's commanded that he'll die in less than a year or so. Oh, well, very well. Um, but I mean, it's a hell of an episode and I don't know what's left. Have you read that script? No, um, I've been meaning to for a long time. It's there's a lot of differences. Um, well, yeah, and between I know, the two of us, we've we've done a little reading, and we know like here and there. There's um, there's a subplot about a guy, uh, not actually Scotty. I found out. Yeah, this was. Uh, uh, I, th- I think uh, Roddenberry's sort of flip thing was. Uh, oh, he had Scotty dealing drugs. Yeah, no. Uh, some, but some guy who was part of the crew was dealing drugs to other crew members, and Roddenberry had a problem with there being drugs in the future. And people on a Starfleet ship using them. I think the which, second part would be the part that I would have problem with. Like yeah, the drug, yeah. There's going to be drugs. That's going to happen. But yeah, you know. Yeah, I don't think Starfleet guys probably are uh, smoking up after hours. But that's, <laughs> that's just me. I don't know. This shit. Is, this shit is fucking amazing, Jim. If you hide in the Jeffries tubes, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, the other big one was, and I mean, there was a like so there's wait, a whole with lot the, of this. with the drug thing. Is that instead mm-hmm. of the cordrazine and and somebody who's flipped out on uh, hepped up on goofballs? Yeah, it's instead. It's I believe, and uh, you know, don't hold me to this. It's been a while yeah. since I read the script. Uh, I believe that he was the one that escaped to the past. Uh-huh. Uh, like they chased him down to the planet, right? And he escaped into the past and saved Edith Keeler or something. Uh, but see, if that had happened, then we never would have gotten uh, Bones' great murderers, assassins. So yeah, glad. Bones was actually barely in the original script. Wow. Also, great makeup on DeForest Kelly, by the way. He looked horrible. Oh, yeah. In the throes of his, like, total uh, cordrazine bender there. Mm-hmm. That was great. Anyway, There's nothing Bones? more terrifying or depraved than a man in the depths of a serious corazone bender. <laughs> so what was the other major... Uh... The other major thing was, uh, at the end, Kirk uh, stops McCoy from saving uh, Edith. And in the original script, Spock did it, which for some reason, like, that doesn't make sense to me. It was like Kirk just couldn't decide, just couldn't decide to make save the universe. The decision. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I liked it. I, I like to think that if it came down to it, Spock would just kill her. 
Yeah. In his in his passionless, logical Vulcan way, she must die. I mean, he certainly yeah. said it enough. Oh yeah. So uh, yeah. I mean, it's not like he'd feel good about it, but no. And I like the way it worked out because they just met back up with McCoy. Yeah. And then the car, like the truck thing happened and they didn't have time to explain to Bones. So he's got that great reaction of like, Jesus, what the fuck did you just do? Oh yeah. That was awesome. And then, you know, eventually they'll fill him in. But for, for the moment there, he's like, Oh my God, mm-hmm. I leave you guys for five minutes and you turn into fucking brutal killers. What the hell? Yeah. That was nice. And, and uh, great acting all around. Yeah. It's just a great episode. And I love the, uh, I love the last line when they're, um, they finally get back to the to the present, and the Guardian's all like, you have restored the timeline. Yep. All, all of history is open to you. You can look at anything you want. And Jim, or, uh, Kirk's just like, let's get the hell out of here. Yep. <laughs> and, I mean, we come back to the Guardian and stuff, but from the episode, it just seems like they're leaving because he's fed up with it. No, we we don't, actually. In, in canon, like in plenty of books and plenty of novels and whatever, the only mm-hmm. official canonical return to the – well, and it's not even officially canon uh, – is in the animated series. Ah, which I, some people say that counts, some people don't. Uh, whatever, but no next gen, no DS nine, no Voyager, no Enterprise. Nobody ever comes back to the the Guardian again. So uh, wow, yeah, very strange. I think they're all scared of Harlan Ellison. Is what it is. Well, and rightly so. Yeah. All right. Anything else on this one? Are you ready to? I think that's everything. All right. So on to mine, which does not need an alternate title because this is the greatest title of any Star Trek episode ever. Oh yeah. Operation colon annihilate exclamation point. <laughs> Uh, so the Enterprise is following the path of several destroyed colonies, bringing them to the Deneva colony. Uh, they run into a ship that's deliberately throwing itself into the sun, which they find odd for some peculiar reason. <laughs> and a dude who, just before he dies, expresses tremendous relief. Oh, and then we find out that Kirk's brother is on Deneva. So we beam down to what appears to be the campus of my community college, and are immediately greeted by a small party wielding good stout clubs. <laughs> Man, this reference never gets old. <laughs> The away team stun those crazy guys and work their way into a building where they discover some dead bodies, including Kirk's brother Sam, played by Shatner in a fake mustache. <laughs> uh, his wife, Arella, thankfully not played by Shatner in a wig, is, <laughs> is still alive and wakes up long enough to screech about horrible things before she finally screams herself dead. <laughs> Sam's kid, alive but unconscious, is also possessed by these horrible things, and Bones takes him back to sickbay. One of the creatures, who incidentally looks like novelty fake barf on a string, attacks Spock, who spends the rest of the episode putting on a brave face while apparently enduring tremendous pain. Turns out these creatures are single-celled organisms that comprise a collective whole, and they try to take control of any body they come into contact with. Spock, ever the drama queen, tries to take over the ship, calms down for a little while, then forces his way into the transporter room, where he's allowed to go to the surface anyway. He retrieves one of the creatures, which admittedly look pretty cool when they're not flying through the air, and he and Bones spend the next little while trying to figure out how to kill it. Then Kirk remembers that dude who flew into the sun. No, not Icarus, the guy at the beginning of the episode. And thinks of a fact that the two smartest scientists on the ship didn't think of. Suns are bright! So then they try killing the thing with light, which actually works. Only it blinds Spock. Then in a Twilight Zone-type twist of horrible irony, Bones discovers that they could have done the job just fine using light that's not even visible to the human eye. But it's okay, because Spock magically grows an inner eyelid and everything's fine. They save the planet, and Kirk's nephew... Well, who the hell knows? He's an orphan now. I guess Kirk just drops him back on the planet before they hightail it out of there. <laughs> and that's it. They leave him in an orphanarium. <laughs> yeah, he's way more concerned with the fact that Spock has gone blind than the fact that his brother and sister-in-law have died, and his yeah. his nephew may soon be dead. 
Yeah, Kirk's nephew Renee spends the entire epi- <laughs> the entire episode in sick bay, and Kirk doesn't go to see him once. Nope, goes to see Kirk twice, and he goes and visits the the alien blob <laughs> thing. Is it okay? Yeah, um, they must have paid that kid by the minute or something. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> Jesus Christ, they did the barest minimum to establish that he was in sick bay, and then they just <laughs> forgot about him. Uh, it, was, it was tremendous fun for me and Matt to uh, superimpose Kirk on Picard's life, because, <laughs> just because we know his family life and his background a lot better, being being more Next Jet fans than uh, original series fans. Yeah. Just imagining the Kirk vineyards, his brother Robert. Chateau de Kirk. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but um, Oh, God. Not a bad episode. Like, I remember this one being terrible, because I remember that little barf on a string thing. But, yeah. Um, th- that was just one tiny shot, and the rest of it was actually quite good. Now, the actual episode was really good. Sort of a neat take on, like, the monster of the week. Yeah, like as, the different cells making up one giant yep. thing. That was really cool. Um, um, and I love it. Uh, oh, go ahead. Our uh, Spock's blindness thing was kind of a cop-out. but It was. Uh, and Next Gen will pull the same trick when uh, when uh, Worf grows an extra heart. Worf's, uh, Worf's emergency backup spine. Yeah. that That's kind of lame. Um, but apart from that, I mean, and, and really, Bones wouldn't know. Like, he's worked on Spock before. He doesn't know his anatomy. Yeah. That kind of surprises me. There's a part right after he gets blinded where he comes out and he doesn't admit that he's blind until he's tripped over a table. Right. And that actually makes a lot of sense to to me. Just Spock not wanting to tell anyone, oh, yeah, also I'm blind. Yeah, and that whole um, I'm in tremendous pain, like, they they went as far as they could to quantify it. They had a little uh, pain painometer. Yeah, I guess uh, as you pointed out, next to the boner detector, um, <laughs> bones can me- measure all kinds of weird shit that we can't do with medicine. Now. Oh yeah, they got a shimometer up there too, <laughs> and a and a Shatner meter. Um, <laughs> boy, he's shattering off the scale this week. <laughs> um, no, he's but- giving off over fourteen hundred mega Shatners. <laughs> uh, best bill. Um, <laughs> I just like to throw that in there sometimes. Uh, but no, the, the pain thing was like spiking up to the very top all the time. Like he was in tremendous pain the whole time. And Nimoy played it so well. He, I, I know by this point we should not be surprised that Nimoy's a good actor, but it continues every week mm-hmm. to amaze me. Like, oh yeah, this guy was really good. He's just sort of carrying himself like this the whole time. Like he's holding back, like, God, this hurts, but I gotta keep doing my job. Mustn't grumble. <laughs> very good, sir. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he did a good job, and uh, the monster thing was cool, and there, there's some great yep. character stuff in there. Just uh, all in all, I really quite enjoyed it, and a great mustache on Shatner. <laughs> I do hope I'm going to try my best to get a still of that for the uh, for the cover art. I can't guarantee it, but I'm really uh, really I, hoping I, we can. I really wish that they had done his family like Marty McFly's in Back to the Future too. How do you mean? Shatner in a wig for his wife, Shatner with a large lollipop and a pair of uh, Oshkosh uh, overalls for his nephew. Yeah, if, um, you know, if they're going to if, if they're gonna just play Shatner as everyone, you might as well do that. Look, I get a paycheck for each one of these people, right? <laughs> Very nice. Oh, Kirk, I'm so worried. Ah! <laughs> Don't Mass worry. relaxing. Yeah. <laughs> But no, it assassins, was, <laughs> murderers. I, I, I mean, I wish he had been a little sadder. Yeah, like it was a little, little surprising that he, uh, that he didn't. You know, his seem to care family much. just died. Yeah, and like I said, he freaked out way more about uh, about Spock being blind 
Yep. Than he did about uh, two thirds of his remaining family mm-hmm. dying. Well, I mean, he has to see Spock every day. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, but overall, I, I quite enjoyed this episode. Um, yeah, no, it was good. Good episode. Very. They were they were great. faced at one point with the with the prospect of having to destroy the entire colony to make that, sure that, that these things, cool. yeah, to make sure these things don't spread further because they'd already taken out a bunch of planets before. Yeah. And I love, I love that uh, it's possible that Kirk would be faced with the, the uh, prospect of obliterating a planet full of one million people. Well, he's certainly not going to do that. Well, no, be a I, third option. <laughs> but I like the idea that 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 might be a you know a possibility. Oh yeah, very cool. Uh, but that's that's pretty much it. You got anything else on this one? Or I think that's it for Operation Annihilation. <laughs> Operation Annihilate. Uh, so Terry um, Jack Kirby cover. <laughs> oh yes, of course. Edith Edith Keeler must die. It would also be a great Jack Kirby cover. Yeah. <laughs> um. All right. This so. issue, Edith Keeler must die. <laughs> all right. Uh, you got to Star Trek stories as you like them. <laughs> you got a you got a quote for? Uh, for I do yours. have a quote. Uh, this, uh, like I said, Guardians, Guardian or City on the Edge of Forever is a really funny episode. This is the funniest part of this episode. Well. You're a police officer. I recognize the traditional accoutrements. You were saying you'll have no trouble explaining it. My friend is obviously Chinese. I see you've noticed the ears. They're actually easy to explain. Perhaps the unfortunate accident I had as a child. The unfortunate accident he had as a child. He caught his head in a mechanical... Rice picker, and also the most racist. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a little racist, maybe. Yeah. Um, but yeah, pretty pretty funny. Um, mine for uh, Operation Annihilate is actually our our little uh, laugh on the bridge moment. Please don't tell Spock that I said he was the best first officer in the fleet. Why? Thank you, Doctor McCoy. You've been so concerned about his Vulcan eyes, Doctor. You forgot about his Vulcan ears. Yeah, I always enjoy. Uh, I always enjoy their. It seems like they finally, like last episode of the season, they they nailed it. Like, okay, really, this, sort of got the the chemistry between those two. Yeah, this is this is the dynamic going forward, and uh, and we're we've made no secret of the fact that we love that. So yes, yes, we do. Yeah. Um. Okay. So uh, for for yours for uh, in. Uh, I am uh, as opposed to in the future. I will be going with in the past. In the past. In the past. Mechanical rice pickers will brutally deform the population of the Orient. <laughs> Uh, and for me, uh, returning to uh, the, the 23rd century, in the, future, in the future, starships will be able to deploy orbital death ray satellites capable of covering an entire planet. Thankfully, these will only only be used as a force for good. <clears throat> they actually discuss uh, that's how they're going to cure the planet when they figure out this light thing. They have these, <laughs> these satellites that they can, they can just zap them from space. Like, uh, wow, really? They have yeah. that, huh? I, I, I also built this death ray for peaceful purposes. <laughs> it's the U-ray. <laughs> all right so uh that that wraps it up for season one um yeah hopefully in a week or so you'll be seeing something really cool from us uh it's it's something a little different than what we usually do and it might take a little more than a week but uh, it'll it'll be up soon uh yep. then we're taking a little break uh like we do we we uh 
we take a couple of weeks off from the show and from from Sarcastic Voyage because um, we're fucking tired, guys. Yeah. Come on. I mean, we 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 ran through thirty episodes of this in uh, like two months. Yeah. It was uh, insane, and it's a lot of fun. We love this. Yeah, and, uh, this this show is not going anywhere. In no. fact, uh, uh, post atomic horror audience, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. I like you better. <clears throat> Don't tell anybody. Shh. I like this show better. Anyway, um, but we will be back uh, in early January, um, starting with season two. And as Matt and I are looking over how the breakdown's going to be, like, uh, usually it's like one good episode and one crummy one. It's like, oh, I guess you get stuck with this one. But every week it's like, oh, this is going to be great. And this is yeah. going to be great. And just like. See, season two is where Trek really sort of got, found itself. Yeah. I mean, they've, they've established everything and they're at their height. And unfortunately, they should have, that should have continued into three, but that's when they lost all their money and the good writers. Yep. But also, Chekhov is coming, and we're yeah, sorry. That's that's unfortunate. But everything else, uh, yeah, everything's coming up us. Yep. So we're looking forward to that. Um, since we are sort of wrapping up for the year here and for for season one and everything, uh, we we want to thank you guys for listening. Um, the numbers on the show have been a lot better than we expected. Um, oh yeah. I think my favorite thing has been seeing the people who say you guys make this sound like a lot of fun i'm going to start watching star trek because of you yeah that that's really the best part is people people wanting to check out trek for the first time yeah that's pretty much the the main reason i mean you know matt and i like doing stuff together we like watching star trek together we like making dumb jokes about it mm. the fact that we can be enthusiastic about something and share that enthusiasm and and get people in on it Makes this really, I mean, I, I sound so corny right now, but really, it makes it worthwhile. It makes it. That's okay. We'll be back to gay jokes in a minute. <laughs> well, they belong at their, each other's side. So, <laughs> no, but really, it, it makes this endeavor worthwhile to, for us to be so excited about something that feels like a marginalized sort of in the closet thing. There's your gay mm. joke. Um, mm. But, and for everyone to say, oh, God, Star Trek, I can never get into that. That's just so, you know, so exclusive, so specific. And I, I feel like we're, convincing people no it's fun come on yeah join us won't you um so yeah on our trek through the stars shut up you (laughs) (laughs) there now we're back to normal there we go now i i do appreciate all the all the support we've gotten and um i hope we continue doing a show that you want to hear yeah um that's all for us even when we get to enterprise well that's gonna be a long time from now that's thank god for that yeah all right that's all from us and uh we'll be back soon Yeah, see you guys. The Post-Atomic Horror Podcast is published weekly and is available via iTunes or on the web at postatomichorror.com. This program is a co-production of Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham, and all original material contained herein is their intellectual property unless otherwise noted. All clips and references from Star Trek and related media are used without permission from CBS, Viacom, and or Paramount Pictures. Fair use is assumed for the purposes of review and parody, and the aforementioned co-producers do not receive any form of profit for this effort. Listener feedback can be sent to podcast at postatomichorror.com. An on-air response is guaranteed. <laughs> <laughs>